Well, guys, we're starting a new series of study today in here and in the kids' area, and it's about worship. And what we're going to call the series is Worship Is. Um, and as I told you, like last week, we're going to be doing most of our series are just going to be books of the Bible or sections of the Bible or stories in the Bible. But every once in a while, we're going to organize things topically uh, for the sake of studying a subject. This is one of those where we're going to be talking about worship. And <laughs> in prayer for this, we, we I felt led to do this focus, and then I thought afterwards that, well, this will be easy because I was a worship leader for like 15 years or whatever, so this will be this is going to be great, you know. And I've actually realized the exact opposite was true, that um, my mind and thoughts were almost too many, or it was almost kind of like seeing the forest for the trees sort of thing. So I found myself going, gosh, I don't even know how to describe some of these things because some of them were so, I don't know if native to me or something was the right word, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> So what I want to say about this is this. I think it's going to be really important. I think God's going to use this. I think the timing is right. I think this is what the Lord wants us to be looking at and talking about, but it's not going to be comprehensive. And um, we might do this again some on some periodic, because I think it's important that we remember what worship is and what it's for. I've also asked, just a little heads up, in two weeks, Steve and Marianne are going to be sharing with us about the tabernacle in the Old, Test- uh, Old Testament. I'd ask them to share about that, and then they reminded me that they have, like, the whole thing, like, you know, of, I don't know if props is the right word, is that the right, like, they have, like, examples of all the parts of it and stuff like that, so it's going to be really cool, the kids are going to be in here with that, and I've also invited uh, Gary Webb and Kalani are going to come later in the month as well, and they're going to be teaching us about different Hebrew words for worship and praise and things like that, and so it's going to be really cool, and so it's not going to just be me uh, sharing about this subject but it's such a broad subject, uh, I just wanted to say at the, at the get-go, this is not going to be a comprehensive uh, study of worship. It's just going to be what I think we need to talk about right now. Okay, fair enough? Well, let me start by reading this story. This is going to frame the entire series, this entire month, maybe month plus, about this. And you find this story in Luke 4, 1 through 8, and it's about Jesus being tempted by the devil, Okay. And you can read right along, it goes like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Okay? And here we go. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil comes in making an accusation. He responds with scripture. Okay, This is the one I want you to pay attention to. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me. It will all be yours. That's the devil talking to Jesus, all right? <laughs> if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then there's a third temptation, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where he says to Jesus, like, takes him up on a high place, like, throw yourself off this. If you're the son of God, these angels will come and protect you. And he says, and Jesus says, it's written, don't test God. So what I want to show you is that the first accusation from the devil is starts like this, if you are the son of God. And then he makes some kind of, you know, if well, if you are this, da-da-da-da-da. And then the second one, he's like, hey, just worship me and we'll, we'll skip past all this stuff. And then he goes back, to, a third one is like, if you are the son of God, you know, right back. So there's this one in the middle that sticks out as different to me, where Jesus, the, the devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows exactly what's going on. The devil's laying this whole thing before him. Everything he has, everything is. He goes, I'll give everything to you if you will just worship me. So if Jesus thinks this is that important, and the devil thinks this is that important, this is something we better get right. So the first point I want to talk about is this, that you are a worshiper. Some of you might not think that this is something that's, you know... uh, 
I want to make very clear, uh, since I have been, and Kayla now is the worship leader of this church, when you think about that, you can start to think music. Well, I'm not musical. I'm not really into music. And we're going to have to just take that idea and kind of put it in the shredder. All right, like music is involved in this thing, and it was the whole time in the Bible and all, but that is not how we're, that's not the box that worship fits in, okay? That's kind of an expression. It's a good expression, and it's a needed expression that's in the Bible, but it isn't the definition, you know? So we need to start to understand a little bit about what worship even is. And you know more about worship than you think you do because worship is so intrinsic to who we are. And it's intrinsic to us as created beings to worship God the Creator. Now, I think that it probably, um, this is... Again, this is where I had a forest in the trees moment. I'm not quite sure it would be totally appropriate to say that we were created just to worship God, but it's so there that you could maybe almost say that, but I can't. I, I found that uh, God's reason to create us is his own, okay? But as created beings, it's totally intrinsic to us to worship him. It's totally appropriate. So I don't necessarily know if you have to backwards say then that God made us just to worship him. I don't know if you have to say that. But even in the very beginning, when you read about creation, I was looking some of this up. When you, The words that are used, talking about Adam and Eve, where God created them and placed them in the garden to work, that those words placed and work find connection and, and commonality with the Levites placing offerings before the Lord later in the tabernacle, and the work that they were set apart to do. So there's this kind of in created purpose in us as human beings, all human beings, not just Christian people, okay? Human beings are created, and part of our creation is as worshipers, okay? But what, and, and, and it's something you can't escape, lest you could somehow stop being human. You know, Bob Dylan famously said in his song, uh, you're going to serve somebody. I think it's the theme of the song. And he says, you know, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody, you know. And so let's talk about what worship is. And I actually thought this would be a good way to uh, go about this because this definition that I found is like, this is like the Merriam-Webster sort of stuff, all right? Um, it starts to get at what worship is, I think, from a kind of accurate biblical standpoint, but it also starts to open the door to maybe what our culture more is like. And you'll see what I mean. So worship. First, as a transitive verb, meaning a verb that's used to have an object, like you would give to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. Like, okay, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? And then to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor or devotion. Now, look at the example here. A celebrity worshipped by her fans. An intransitive verb. To take, to perform or take part in worship or act. So, like, that's what we're doing. Like, we are worshiping, you know. Or as a noun, reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power. Also an act of expressing such reverence. You know how we'd say they worshiped, or, or um, that is worship, that kind of thing. A form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. You're like, okay, Christianity, sure. Then we get a third one, extra extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. And the example they had was worship of the dollar. So what you have even in this kind of assessment of what this word means, meaning these guys aren't trying to like, they're not, they don't have an agenda. They're just trying to say when people use this word, how do they use it? What does it mean? And it starts with God stuff and it moves down to worshiping the dollar or worshiping celebrities, you know? So a definition I saw and liked years ago was by a uh, Bishop Joseph Garlington, who's a pastor in uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, I visited their church, and they had like a, a thing they would hand out, and it was kind of talking about what they thought their worship service was about, and, he's, and he defined it just as, worship is correctly responding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I haven't found a better like paraphrase yet, you know. Bishop Joseph Garlington was also a big worship leader in the Promise Keepers movement, and I think he knows a thing or two about this. Um, but the, <laughs> our struggle in our culture right now is 
not maybe necessarily understanding this, but understanding that like these definitions, this Merriam-Webster definition, as it like it, the hierarchy even in many of our lives is right. You know, like, I think this probably would reflect a lot of us, where we do honor God first, but then sneaking in the back are these other things that we also worship. And like I said before, since we're created things and we're going to worship or serve something, it finds its place. Some of us, these things jump to the front, where you're worshiping the dollar more than you're worshiping God. Now, the Bible calls this idolatry. And this is an important concept because our, and I've, I've said this a lot of times, but I just think since we're talking about worship, we should say this again. Our culture in the West and in America, and we've lost some of the understanding of what idolatry is. That's why I like the examples of worshiping celebrities or worshiping the dollar. Those are idols, okay? Now, in other cultures, they would still have a shrine or a, an object, like an actual object, could be made of wood or gold or something, that you were focusing all of that on, you know, the idea that if I give offerings to this thing, I will get money, you know what I mean? But our version of it, you just kind of cut that thing out, and we just talk about the money. So the money itself becomes the idol. It has the exact same power, the exact same effect on our lives, the exact same destructive force. It's just like the devil saying, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you everything, you know. And, um, and so we find ourselves almost like a step back. Well, you know, in a culture that has an idol, you can say, like, you find, like, in the Bible, which that was that culture, you say, smash these idols. Like, we talked about Gideon, smash the idols. Like, let's smash the idols. And we don't even know what the idols are, or we don't even have a, a, a framework for that to work anymore. You're like, what am I supposed to smash? Like, I don't even understand what, what, how this works. And so, uh, idolatry would be, I'll just make this clear, where we worship things that are other than God, ourselves, money, celebrities, or ideas. And this is sinful, totally wrong, and uh, it does these, it does lots of weird things. Um, one is, a, I have this quote here, this is from uh, theologian N.T. Wright, and I'm just going to read it, it's, it's a little long, but I think it kind of helps. When we worship and serve forces within creation, this is idols he's talking about, and he says, okay, I'll start over because there's a parenthesis. When we worship and serve forces within the creation, the creation for which we were supposed to be responsible, we hand over our power to other forces only too happy to usurp our position. We humans have thus, by abrogating our own vocation, handed our power and authority to non-divine and non-human forces, which have the run which have then run rampant, spoiling human lives, ravaging the beautiful creation, and doing their best to turn God's word in, world into a hell, and hence into a place that people might want to escape. As I indicated earlier, which we didn't read, some of these forces are familiar, money, sex, power. Some are less familiar in the popular mind, not the least sense of a dark, accusing power standing behind all the rest. So we see He's explaining, just like when the devil is tempting Jesus, just worship me, and I'll give you all these, all the things in the world that you could possibly want. I'll give them all to you if you'll just worship me. What we do is when we start to worship these things, we, we give to them authority over our lives, the kind of authority that only God is supposed to have. We start to surrender to their wants. We become less and less and less who God has created us to be. We, we, so we lose our humanness. We, you, lo, we start to lose our image of God, and, and we fall into hell. This is it. And at the day of judgment, like hell forever, hell, you know, that kind of hell. But like hell, in the, you know, it's kind of like we always talk about the kingdom of God being now and not yet. I think hell is kind of now and not yet, too. Like you could find hell here by, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Another quote I saw this week is from a, a Christian speaker, Jackie Hill Perry, she said, God is the only one who can be praised all of the time and remain himself. So when we praise other people, like if other people become our idols, we also destroy them. You know, we can think of ideas or forces like he was talking about, power, money. These things are sort of abstract even then. But when you start to apply that kind of, when we start worshiping other people, which our society is full of, it's almost taught as a default. Not only are we destroying ourselves and 
doing that same thing I was just talking about, about becoming less human and less human, we do the same thing to them. They're not meant to do that. And they're going to fail because they're not God. You see what I'm saying? So we've got this very broken system. And I would even argue that uh, the idolatry is so rife in our culture that it even finds its way into the church. And so I would say that idolatry is idolatry even if it's covered with a Christian veneer. What I mean by a veneer is this paper-thin coating. Like if you buy some furniture, you know, I don't know, that's less expensive, it's not solid wood, they'll take particle board and then apply a very thin layer of real wood on the outside. That's veneer. So when you look at it, it looks like real wood. Or when you look at it, it looks like Christianity. But if you step on it, it's going to crack because it can't handle the weight. You see, we live in a world right now where there's a lot of idolatry that's been covered in Christian veneer, and it takes a lot to see through it sometimes. So, you know, I'm just going to say that. Um, also, a lot of our Christian, you know, pop culture mirrors the world's pop culture in a way that I would argue is probably idolatrous and worshipful, but I don't have anything in particular in mind when I'm saying that. I'm just saying the whole system seems to be rife with idolatry, and we've got to smash that, you know, and I don't mean not have Christian music celebrities. It doesn't matter, really, but the point is putting them in their proper place, you know. Our worship as, as created beings is designed to only be for God, and we spend most of our time almost categorically worshiping other things. This is the main point I'm trying to make. So that's why we want to we want to um, address this. Because it's such a big problem, and because this is a, uh, biblically speaking, a really big deal to God. This is not something that God goes, ah, you know, I know, but I mean, you guys, you guys, you know, he does, he's not like that. Now I have some examples here. And uh, so you have to, I'm going to, this is where we're going to, I have too much Bible stuff here. Like, I've got pages of Bible stories. We've got two big stories I want to go through. And I'm just, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out a thing. And then I was going to, maybe if Andy was here, have him come read these. But I'll just stumble through reading them. Um, two Bible stories that talk about what I'm talking about. And I think they speak for themselves. You don't really need a whole lot of my commentary on this. Because... Um, this is a serious subject. It's great. It's, it's amazing. It's powerful. But like when you start to realize how important this is to God and how much we don't do this, it's, it's intense. The first clips I'm going to read here are from Exodus. And this is, a, this is God has now led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. Okay? One of the things he did, well, he had all the plagues that God did to show Pharaoh who he really was and who Pharaoh wasn't because Pharaoh thought he was God. And God just kept reminding him, you're not. And finally he gave in, you know. And at first, the first sign where they throw a staff down and it turns into a snake, Pharaoh's like, my guys can do this. And they do it. But then God's snake eats their snake. So even in that first thing where they think, yeah, we can do this, God reminds them, like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just ate all your snakes. You know, like I'm not into... And then it gets worse or, or more intense um, as it goes along, and then the Hebrew people leave finally after God sends the angel of death that, that wipes out the firstborn of all the people in Egypt who didn't apply the Passover blood over their doorframe. Pharaoh finally is like, okay, I had enough, you know, and then they leave. But then Pharaoh's like, I need, we need to go get these people back. And then they get backed up against the Red Sea and they're going to die. There's an army coming to get them. But then God's like, you know what, I'm just going to, and God miraculously opens the sea, they walk through it. And he closes it back on top of the army that's chasing after them. They've already had this experience. Are we following? So you go like, gosh, if I had seen that, I probably would worship God and be like, you know. Then they go into the wilderness. And so there's this continual, I mean, y'all all know the story. There's this continual, like, God does something amazing. And then after a while, people kind of forget. And then they complain. And then God does something else amazing. And then after a while, they forget. And they complain. It sounds a lot like, us? So don't get all judgy. You know what I mean? <laughs> then God's like, I'm going to speak to you guys from the mountain. And it shakes and there's thunder and lightning and stuff. So much that they're like, you know, Moses, let's not do that. 
let's you, you go talk to God because I don't, you know, we're going to die if this keeps happening. You know what I mean? So God starts to give Moses some of the instructions that we need. So we look in Exodus 22 through 7. This is the beginning of something that we call the Ten Commandments, which is, if you want to know as a Bible um, studying, a big deal. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember that. That's one of his first, like, I'm the Lord your God, and I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. (laughs) You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so you think that's, when we're talking about worship, talking about God being God, us not being God, us worshiping only God. I'm going to give you ten points I want you to kind of live by. This is number one. Yeah, Dan just threw up a one in the back. Do you think that might be a big deal to God? You go, well, yeah, but he's not specifically. And then you go, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love for thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse my name. And then it keeps, you know, and it keeps going on. So... <laughs> So what I'm saying is, when God's laying out these Ten Commandments, and the first two are about what I'm talking about right now, and they're corrective, or they're prohibitive. They're like, do not, like, I am this, do not do this. Skip down, um, Exodus 20, 22, another thing. Again, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I've spoken to you from heaven. Do not make, this is after that mountain thing, remember? The, you know, they're freaked out. And he's like, okay, okay, all right, I'm powerful. And so he says to them, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Well, that settles it, doesn't it? Right? So now we're going to get into our first story which is in Exodus 32, which after this you find a lot of instructions, some about the tabernacle and about worship. So God's like, here's how I want worship things to happen. And there's a lot of interesting, cool stuff in there, some of which Steve and Marianne will cover in a couple weeks. But it lays out even pictures of what Jesus was going to come to do much later. You know, that God's like, humans are this, I am this, and we're going to start this whole dialogue of how we're going to fix and deal with creation that's broken. And then Exodus 32 happens. Moses um, is up on the mountain. Like the people said, like, hey, you go, you go talk to God, all right? Like, we're scared now. But God has made, it, God has made himself so clear. Like, guys, <laughs> I, don't want you, I don't want you worshiping anything else. Remember who I am. You're so, you know who I am so much that you don't even want me to come to the mountain anymore because you're afraid, you know? And uh, there's things about people not touching the mountain because they don't want to die. I mean, it's, it's just intense stuff. Um, and God is intense, you know. And now I'm going to read this story, Exodus 32, 1 through 24. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain where he was meeting with God, all right, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, and said, Come, make us, make us a God or gods who, we will, who will go before us and... Okay, hold on. Blah. Come, make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow moses who brought us out of egypt we don't know what has happened to him (laughs) aaron answered them take off your gold earring he doesn't say no remember that thing about not doing that this is what he says take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to aaron he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioned it with a tool Remember that. He made that, fashioned it with a tool, right? Calf being something that was worshipped a lot in Egypt. That's important to remember. So this is not only just making a golden, making, doing exactly what God said not to do, but it's also like saying like kind of a wink back to where they came from, you know? Fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, or this is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built... When Aaron saw this, he built an altar altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Not 
the Lord, this Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, back up on the mountain now. We're back up on the mountain. Go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and they have said, These are your gods, Israel, and who brought you out of Egypt. Which is like, remember when God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He's literally saying, no, that's the God that brought you out of Egypt. The thing we just made. Again, you gotta, I'm, I'm talking harshly, but you can't get judgy about this. You're like, well, I wouldn't do that. I'm, just trust me. Say, God, how am I doing this? Okay? This is what we need to see. And if we're not, fine. But, like, but we, we need to not just, well, thank God I wasn't there. This is a picture of the kind of stuff we do. This is what this is what brought me out of this is what really fixed my problems. You know this kind of thing, okay? And I'm not saying you guys, I'm saying me, I'm saying all of us. Okay? Where was I? Who brought you out of Egypt? I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought out the favor of the Lord. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was the evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. That's intense. And he meets up with the other guys, and they're heading down. When Joshua heard the noise for the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. So Joshua's the guy who eventually leads him into the land of, you know, land of Canaan and Israel. You know, and he's like, we better be ready. There's a fight down there. Moses knows what's going on. Mo- Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. This is a representation, the covenant that they have, written by God, and he throws it down and smashes it in his anger. He, he, and he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it in the water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you what le- that you led them into such great sin? No, this is Aaron whose staff that I just talked about turning into a snake. He'd done all these other miraculous things with, by God's power. Like this is not like a, well, I was kind of new and, you know. I mean, he, he's right alongside Moses doing everything that they've been doing to this point. Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw in the fire and out came this calf, which is not totally true. Because we like to like justify, well, you know, if I had just thrown it in there and this happened, I mean, you got to admit, that's kind of weird. You know, but it said earlier that they fashioned it and tooled it. So that's just a lie. And so the reason this this matters is uh, I want to lay out that how easy it is for us to fall into idol worship. Because I, I, mean, I can't speak for all of us 100%, but I'm pretty sure that collectively we don't have the experiences these people have. As far as like, well, we tend to think something like this. If God did fill in the blank, then I would, nah. Sometimes we even pray things like that. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. You know what I mean? And you end up creating this kind of, I don't know if it's totally imaginary, but this kind of deal-making or something like that. But I would say that looking at stories like this is helpful for us because it reminds us that you can experience almost anything 
with God and still do nonsense. Okay? Very literal nonsense here. Later you see things like when Peter struggles, like Peter, with Jesus, has experienced quite a bit. He's seen Jesus transfigured. He's transfigured. He's on the, he's up there. He sees Jesus transfigured in the presence of, in the Moses, who's dead, and Elijah, who's dead, meeting with him. He saw this. And then he heard the voice of God say, this is my son, listen to him. This whole, like, you know, he's been there. He's seen some things. You see what I'm saying? And then, when Jesus is crucified, he denies him three times. He gets it right later. But my point is, like, we can read stories like this and be like, I'm so glad I'm better than all these people. And we're not. We need to see how the, the, the caution that comes from this is how easy this is to do. It's really easy. I would actually say it's probably the default unless God does miraculous things in us and we work against it. We like to worship things we understand. Even when that thing happens with Jesus, Peter seeing Jesus transfigured, he's being revealed as God. Moses and Elijah, and Peter's like, yo, this, this thing sells. <laughs> we can make an altar to you, to Moses and Elijah, and we can have people come up here. This we get. You know, the whole, like, drink my blood thing that sent everybody away, that we, I don't know what you're talking about. But this, this we get. Let's sell this. Let's make this the thing. And God doesn't go, you know, well, I thought about it. But he says, this is my son. Listen to what he says. You know, that's his response back, which that's not in my notes. We, you can go to that another time. But the point is, we can so easily fall into this worship. And then when we do, like Aaron, we like to try to, like, pretty it up a bit or church it up a bit. Like, well, I mean, I threw the stuff in the fire and out came a calf. I mean, can you blame me? We've been seeing some pretty crazy stuff lately. This seems to fit right, you know. And then, and <laughs> it's, 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 it's this, the way this reads, the way this reads is the way you and I sound when we do that, okay? Before God and often, before other people, before other believers, like we think it's just a little lie. And if I tell it this way, it'll sound really convincing. And then that way I don't have to like really be, you know, um, church it up a bit, clean it up. You know, no one will notice. People notice. You see what I'm saying? And, uh, and we're just deceiving ourselves. And it gets pretty intense. We're not going to go into the rest of it. But God has to cleanse this camp. And it's not a good story. Uh, it's not a good situation. And so the seriousness with which worship that we have to offer is only for God is what I want us to really grasp today and how big of a deal that is to God himself. We will start talking about how and stuff like that later in some of these upcoming weeks. But we really need to be thinking about what is it that we worship? What things have we let sneak in from the bottom of the definition like we were reading earlier and suddenly maybe some of them have jumped to the front? What things do we let get covered in Christian veneer so as to not, you know, eh, I threw it in this, you know, it's like but Aaron. I threw it in the fire, this came out, you know. I thought it was Jesus, you know. I'm going to read this other story, which I preached about uh, not too long ago, um, but I'm just going to read it. This is from Daniel 3. This is a story that the kids are studying. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not worshiping something other than God. Okay, and this is what happens because our worship will be challenged. Uh, we will be asked just like Jesus was by the devil continually by ourselves, in our own mind, in our own lives and by the world around us. If you'll just worship me, I'll give you everything. If you'll just worship me, you can have it all. Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar. So now the Israelites are in Babylon. I want everyone to know what's going on. So the Israelites are now in Babylon, in exile. And so they've been taken away from their homeland. Um, and so they're having to deal with the fact that their surrounding world is not worshiping Yahweh, is not worshiping God. They're worshiping other things. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But they don't have the military power to do anything about it. They're kind of stuck there. But God has been faithful. You can read in the prophets. He's like, I'm not forgetting anything, but you're going to go through some rough stuff. How many of y'all have been through some rough stuff lately? Okay, so when you're in rough stuff, 
read this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. That's the, the king of, in Babylon right now. So he's like, it was 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before it. So he made an idol for people to worship. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whosoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So this is like a command to worship something else with a threat behind it. It's not like Satan saying, just worship me and I'll give you everything. This is like, if you don't do it, you're going to get burned. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May you live forever, your majesty, who has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown to a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. That's good. Just making sure everybody knows that. Furious with rage, King Nebuchadnezzar, powerful dude, all right? So now they got power, the, the forces of the world terribly angry at them because they won't worship what they're telling them to do. This is how the world reacts. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men brought were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Doesn't it sound like the devil talking to Jesus again? If you really are anything, blah, 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 you know. If you'll just worship me, I'll give you, I'll give you everything. Just, but like, this, this is like this, I, what I hear in this is by the world standards is complete power, okay? <laughs> but it's so empty when faced with God, you know. If you really are God, you know. He's like, and so he even like draws, what God could save you from me, you know? This is the correct response, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Did you hear the difference between those two things? So God can save us if he wants to. No matter what, though, he's going to deliver us from your hand, which was your threat. You know, you think that just if you kill us in a furnace that you somehow won. You've won nothing. You know, the Bible talks about like, don't fear people who can destroy your body. Fear the people, you know, God can destroy your, you know, like, God can send you to hell. That's who you need to really fear. God is the one that's in charge. God is the one that's powerful. These guys just think they are, you know. He's like, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, we will not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They're saying, even if we don't get what we want, okay? Even if things don't work out in a way that you can understand, I'm still not going to do anything that you're telling me to do. Because God said not to. I just want to read that again. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. So now you say this to the world. Jesus says it to the devil. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took them, took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys who threw them in died because it was so hot. That's hot. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. So I guess King Nebuchadnezzar wins, right? But then, remember all the empty threats. Remember all the, who can save you from my hand? This is the, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement (laughs) and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they're like, well, certainly, your majesty, you know, not something you want to get wrong. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Who do you think that is? Jesus. And um, <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. So he's getting it right now. He's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Come out. Come here. So Sadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of... Uh, Kayla, come on up here. Came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded, crowded around them. I bet they did. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. He's talking about himself now. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or nation who say anything against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. The king... The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So their, their willingness to put their lives in their own hands, to follow God and worship only God, actually resulted in a promotion. This can happen, okay? Sometimes, sometimes you die. That's why they said even if he does not. And actually, when you look at the early church, which existed mostly in persecution, meaning the world around was resisting what they were doing. Not entirely, but in mostly. You know, remember we were going through Acts. Paul was in prison quite a bit, you know. The world and Satan don't like when we take stands like this. They threaten us, and a lot of us get afraid. But there is no position for those whose faith is in Jesus to be afraid of that because it's empty. We have the truth. Like Jesus says to Satan, I'm not going to do it because the word says, worship, let me just read exactly what it says. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the first point, or the first main point of this whole worship series is that worship is only for God. It's for God alone. And we are called to worship God alone. And in our time and in our culture, where there isn't such great resistance, it's so easy to kind of act like we're doing that and not know that we aren't. You follow what I mean? It will come up when there's times of challenging, either where you think God may be gone, like the Israelites did earlier, where they go, well, I guess we need to make an, we need to, like, I don't sense God the way I like to. I don't see Moses like I'm used to. So we need to make something I can see and I can understand that I can then put my faith in. Okay? And we do that a lot. Also, it can be when they just come, your, your worship of God alone can just be in a moment, in an instant, challenged when you're not ready or expecting it. And I invited Kashif, we were talking the other day, come on up. He, we were talking the other day and he was talking about his testimony. See, like, we, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and not loving our lives even unto death. You see that last part is there, you know, like, we're not supposed to be, 
running around afraid all the time. We were talking about that, and he was talking about he grew up in Pakistan, which is not notoriously Christian. <laughs> he grew up in a Christian town in Pakistan, but there's a lot of resistance there. And he went through an experience like this where all of a sudden you wake up one day and your faith in Jesus is tested and tested at kind of an utmost situation. And he had a situation like this so similar that I thought, you know what, why don't you share that on Sunday? Because we overcome partly by the word of our testimony. And every single one of you in here, as you put your faith in Jesus and act on that, like these guys do, you overcome, and then your testimony will strengthen other people's because it does work. And what I was saying earlier about the, I didn't make this last point, the early church spread so quickly in spite of all of this resistance in the world. One of the main qualities was because of that, and even people, there's stories, one of the main qualities was they weren't afraid to die. There's actually some famous stories, which I don't have the the references for. They're not in the Bible. They're in just historical references because people wrote history books like they did, like they do now. They were different back then, but they still wrote them, and we still have some of that stuff. There was examples of Roman soldiers being ordered to execute Christian people, and there was a lot of them, and the story goes that they were executing Christian people, and the Christian people were so, like, these are soldiers. They're not, they're pagan. They've been taught to worship gods, like, not Jesus, but they're caught up in this worship. They, they're actually caught up in that same world. The devil's got people caught up. They don't. They don't know that. It's not their fault. They just are there. Their job now: kill these Christian people who are defying the emperor. So they're doing it. But as they're watching how these people are dying, by the end of the, there's some. No one's preaching to anybody. Okay, but when they when they're being put to the sword, the love and the forgiveness and the lack of fear that these people have converts some of these Roman soldiers to where they say, I'm going to stand with these people and die with them because of that testimony. And so I want Kashif to share the story that he experienced um, earlier in his life. Yes, that's right. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> My town name is Shantinagar. It's kind of in the middle of Pakistan from east to East to West. I mean, I can share a lot of things God has done in my life, but I'm going to share one of that thing we were talking the other night. That was the day, February 6th, 1997. And we kind of knew that this is going to happen. But that morning when we woke up, we found out we were surrounded as is documented by 20 to 30,000 people, the whole town. And they were about to execute their plan in the morning, kind of six o'clock or eight, uh, six to seven somewhere. And we decided to leave our homes I mean, we had ammunition in a town, we had guns, everything, but that day something happened. Nobody did resist to that situation. Nobody picked up their weapons, nobody picked up their whatever they had. So the people came in and they started burning our houses. So the people, they evacuated, they left the town or they gathered into the other side of the town, uh, sharing with other families and hiding. So I left at the end, my family left before me and I found out where my family is. So I was running in a street. I can't tell how many bullets, but a lot of bullets passed by me and none of them touched me. No bullet touched me. So I ran into that house and found my family, all the ladies and kids, they were in one room, about 20, maybe 25, and we were about 10 gents, we were in, in one room. But the thing is, they were praying. Other, maybe five or six people, they were praying, they were kneeling down. And we were two guys who were holding the door. I mean, even the door was locked, but we was holding the door. And those people were actually searching a man 
to kill them. They were not harming any women or kids, but they were searching for men. So they came into their house and they had a big piece of wood and they hit that door and door got opened, wide open. And we two guys were standing about five feet apart. They looked at us and they announced, there's nobody here, let's go. They could not see us. So God's help is always there when you ask. And sometimes even you don't ask, but he's there. That I saw that day. Because I accepted Jesus Christ in 1995. But my life at the start was not exactly with him. But when I accepted him as he's my savior, even I went away from him, he never left me. He never left me. And he proved it. So that day, a lot of things happened. Nobody died in that town. God's hands were there. And the people they attacked, a lot of people got killed by the army from that mob. But nobody, the few guys got injured, but nobody was dead in that town. All that homes, like over 300 homes got burned. And they, we did not have anything. No food, no things to sleep. There was not, none left. But we did not sleep empty stomach. God provided food right away. And they gave us tents. The army brought the tents. We went into the tents. We slept, you know. So... That time, even my life was not with God, but He was protecting me. He was with me. He was showing me some areas, the how, I mean, whenever anybody accepted Jesus Christ, it's a different method He applies to bring that person to in that area where, on that track, where goes to His kingdom. So mine was a little different. Even I was away from Him, he was showing me his miracles and his presence. So nowadays, I can tell you, I'm still trying to stay on the track and he's fine-tunes me all the time. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. And... Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Because here's the thing, guys, you know, you can, we can read these stories in the Bible and you can, like the Israelites forget so quickly or even maybe well that was a long time ago or that sort of thing but this stuff is happening now and we don't worship God just because of miracles remember they said even if he does not we worship God because he deserves our worship because of who he is and of who we are so let's stand I'm going to read this part that I started with one more time as a way to close this out Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen.